ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so continuing with بلوغ المرام Abul Hafiz Ibn Hajar Rahimahullahu Ta'ala We were in the chapter of the prayer Kitabul Salah uh, Or the book of the prayer And then in the Sifatul Salah The description of the prayer And the last thing that we were discussing was regarding The Qunut And it was mentioned in the previous hadith وعن سعد بن طارق الأشجعي رضي الله عنهما قال قلت لأبي يا أبت إنك قد صليت خلف رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وأبي بكر وعمر وعثمان وعلي أفكانوا يقنطون في الفجر قال أي بنية محدث That was the issue about whether you are supposed to do the qunut in the fajr every day continuously. And so that was mentioned that that is not the correct way. Rather it is at the times of when these situations arise. Then that issue we mentioned at the end of the lesson regarding the Jumu'ah. Then should the qunut be done in the Jumu'ah prayer itself or not? Then the scholars have mentioned, Sheikh bin Baz and others, rahimahumullah, that it is not Correct. It is not suitable and appropriate for a person, for the imam to do the qunut dua in the jumu'ah prayer. In the actual prayer, then it should not be done. Because the khutbah itself is an opportunity to make the dua. The khutbah itself presents that opportunity in any case. So it is not suitable that in the actual jumu'ah prayer the qunut is done. And this is the fatwa of some of the scholars like Sheikh bin Baz and others, Rahimahumullah. Then after that, Anil Hassan ibn Ali, Radiallahu anhuma, Annahu qal, Allamani Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Kalimatin aqulu hunna fi qunut al-witr, Allahumma hdini fi man hadayt, Wa'afini fi man afayt, Wa'tawallani fi man tawallayt, Wa'barikli fi ma a'atayt, وَقِنِي شَرَّ مَا قَضَيْتِ فَإِنَّكَ تَقْضِي وَلَا يُقْضَى عَلَيْكِ إِنَّهُ لَا يَظِلُّ مَنْ وَالَيْتِ تَبَارَكْتَ رَبَّنَا وَتَعَالَيْتِ These words, they will be familiar to you. In this hadith it mentions that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he taught me, uh, he taught me these words that I should say in the qunut of witr. And they are, Allahumma hdini fi man hadayt, wa'afini fi man afayt, the dua that you are aware of. وَزَادَ الطَّبَرَانِ وَالْبَيْهَقِي وَلَا يَعِزُّ مَنْ عَادَيْت And similarly, when narration also says, وَلَا يَعِزُّ مَنْ عَادَيْت وَزَادَ النَّسَائِ مِنْ وَجْهٍ آخر فِي آخِرِهِ وَصَلَّ اللَّهُ تَعَالَ عَلَى النَّبِيِّ That is also added in another narration, that in the end of it you say, وَصَلَّ اللَّهُ تَعَالَ عَلَى النَّبِيِّ so in this hadith now then, Al-Hasan ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib radiyallahu anhuma, he mentions and he was one of the companions from the family of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ali ibn Abi Talib himself was the fourth khalifa and then after him Al-Hasan, Al-Hasan ibn Ali he was also the one who took over the Khilafah after the death of Ali ibn Abi Talib radiyallahu anhu. وَبُوِعَ بِالْخِلَافَةِ وَاسْتَمَرَّ فِيهَا أَشْهُرًا And he was given the pledge of allegiance to be the Khalifa and he continued upon that way for a few months. ثُمَّ لَمَّا رَأَى الْفِتْنَةَ بَيْنَ أَهْلِ الشَّامُ وَأَهْلِ الْعِرَاقِ آثَرَ حُقْنَ دِمَاءِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَآثَرَ سُحْ فَتَنَازَلَ عَنِ الْخِلَافَةِ لِمُعَاوِيَ إِبْنَ بِسُفْيَانِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ But then when he saw the trial which had occurred between the people of Sham and the people of Iraq, 
then he gave precedence to preserving the blood of the Muslims and not allowing the bloodshed to occur. And he preferred and gave priority for the rectification to occur. So he stepped down from the Khilafah uh, to Muawiyah ibn, ibn Abi Sufyan radiallahu anhu. وَتَحَقَّقَ فِي ذَلِكَ قَوْلَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ And so he actualized in that act the statement of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم إِنَّ ابْنِ هَذَا سَيِّدُ وَسَيُصْلِحُ اللَّهُ بِهِ بَيْنَ طَائِفَتَيْنِ عَظِيمَتَيْنِ مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ That my son, this one is a Sayyid and Allah will rectify between two great uh, two great parties of the Muslims through him. فَتَحَقَّقَ بِذَلِكَ مَا أَخْبَرَ بِهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ So he actualized that which the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم had mentioned. وَكَانَ ذَلِكَ فِي تَنَازُلِهِ رضي الله عنه عن الخلافة لمعاوية رضي الله عنه جمعاً للكلمة. So when he stepped down from the Khilafah to Muawiyah, radiyallahu anhum, then that was a unification of the, uh, a unification that occurred thereafter. And so it was a preservation of the blood of the people and an end to the fitna which had occurred between the Muslims. فَكَانَ هَذَا التَّنَازُلْ خَيْرًا عَظِيمًا لِلْمُسْلِمِينَ So him stepping down was a great good for the Muslims. وَقَدْ سُمِّيَ هَذَا الْعَامُ عَامُ الْجَمَاعَةِ لِأَنَّ الْمُسْلِمِينَ اجْتَمَعُوا فِيهِ and that particular year when this occurred, it is known as the year of unification. The year of unification. Because it was that year when the Muslims, they all then unified. And the battle, it was laid down. And the affairs that come with battles, those affairs were then laid down. And all praise is due to Allah. So he mentions in this narration, Al-Hasan ibn Ali radiallahu anhuma, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught me the dua of qunut. He taught me some words that I should say in the dua of al-qunut. So this indicates the legislation of the qunut in witr. Because the actual hadith says that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught me certain words, a certain dua to recite in the qunut of witr. So this indicates the legislation of the qunut in the witr. وَأَنَّهُ يُسْتَحَبُّ وَيُتَأَكَّدْ وَيَتَأَكَّدْ أَنْ يَدْعُوا بِهَذَا الدُعَاء And that it is something mustahab, and it is preferential and more suitable and established that a person reads this particular dua when he does so, اللهم اهدني في من هديت وعافني في من عافيت وتولني في من توليت وبارك لي فيما أعطيت وقني شر ما قضيت فإنك تقضي ولا يقضى عليك وإنه لا يظل من واليت تباركت ربنا وتعاليت أني والنريشن أصو ولا يعز من عاديت أني ننظر نريشن أبيند وصل الله على النبي then as Shaykh Al-Fawzan says, on top of this particular dua, إِنْ أَضَافَ إِلَيْهِ أَدْعِيَ أُخْرَى مِمَّا وَرَدَ فِي الْكِتَابِ وَالسِّنَّةِ فَلَا If a person was to add additional duas, additional supplications on top of this one, from the authentic supplications of the Qur'an and the Sunnah, then the Shaykh says there is no issue in that. لَكِنْ يَحْرِصْ عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَأْتِيَ بِهَذَا الدُّعَاءِ But a person must ensure or be, uh, give importance to reciting this dua at least. This is the core, this is the dua that the person must try to ensure he recites. And then any others on top he can recite and it's not an issue. Why is this dua something the person should focus on and make sure that this is something he definitely recites, because this is the dua that the Prophet ﷺ himself taught Al-Hasan ibn Ali. And then Al-Hasan ibn Ali, radiallahu anhu, rawahu lil-ummah, 
he then narrated this to the ummah, that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught me this particular dua to read in the qunut of witr. فَهُوَ دُعَاءٌ مُؤَكَّدْ وَمُسْتَحَبْ فِي قُنُوتِ الْوِتْرِ So it is a dua which is mustahab, highly recommended, and something which is established, uh, that should be read in that qunut of witr. لَكِنَّ بَعْضَ الْأَئِمَّةِ فِي هَذَا الزَّمَانِ And pay attention here now, as Shaykh Al-Fawzani says, However, he says, However, Despite knowing this particular dua, and this is what you're supposed to recite, he says, however, some of the imams of this time, some of the mosques and the imams that you see around there, يَأْتُونَ بِعَجَائِبْ فِي الْقُنُوتِ He says, they bring about all types of strange affairs when it comes to the qunut. They do all types of strange things when it comes to the qunut. فَيُخَفِّفُونَ صَلَاةَ التَّرَاوِيحِ ثُمَّ إِذَا جَاءَ الْقُنُوتِ أَطَالُوا فِيهِ قَدْرَ قِرَاءَةٍ صُورَ طَوِيلًا He says, for example, one of the things you'll find from some of the imams out there who mistakenly do this, it's an error, whereby they will read the taraweeh. For example, in Ramadan, they lead the taraweeh prayer, and the taraweeh, it is... Light. They do not pray it in a heavy manner, meaning in a lengthy manner. It is prayed very lightly. Small amounts are recited in each raka'ah. And the raka'at for the taraweeh are quickly concluded. It's not something very elongated and lengthy. However, the shaykh says, from the strange affairs of some of these imams, that after they do that, when it comes to the witr, they then make a qunut, which is perhaps as long as one of the long surahs of the Qur'an. Long qunut. They've prayed the whole of the taraweeh very lightly, not elongating it and very long. But when it comes to the qunut, then they do a very long qunut. To the extent the shaykh mentions, حَتَّى إِنَّ النَّاسَ يَمُلُّونَ وَيَتْعِبُونَ وَيَسْأَمُونَ That the people, they become tired they become tired out and worn out and uh, due to the lengthiness of the dua of the witr that the imams they read. فَهَذَا التَّطْوِيلِ لَا يَجُوزُ مِنْ نَاحِيَتَيْنِ This elongation of the dua in the witr, making the dua of the witr that long, it is not permissible, the shaykh says, from two different angles, from two different points of view, Making that extremely long dua in the witr is not something acceptable, not permissible. Al-ula, لِأَنَّ فِيهِ مَشَقَّةً عَلَى الْمُصَلِّينَ وَخَاصَةً الْمُصَلِّينَ مِنْ كِبَارِ السِّنْ وَالْمَرْضَى وَالَّذِينَ لَهُمْ أَعْمَالُ وَأَشْغَالُ فَهَذَا التَّطْوِيلِ أَمْرٌ مُحْدَثْ يَنْبَغِي تَرْكُمْ Firstly, the shaykh says it is not permissible to do these elongated very long du'as for the witr, because there is difficulty upon the congregation. You are placing difficulty upon the congregation behind you, especially those who are elderly in age. There may be people, especially in Ramadan, in the taraweeh, people in their 70s, in their 80s, maybe elderly people who are there in the congregation, and now you're going to make a du'a of the qunut, which is maybe half an hour, 40 minutes long. And that is known that they do half an hour, 40 minutes, and maybe some of you may even be aware of examples longer than that. So this, the shaykh says, it is not permissible firstly from the perspective, from the point of view that you are making a burden upon the Muslims. You are burdening the Muslims, and especially when there are elderly in age, etc., within the congregation, and there may be others who are perhaps not fully in good health, there may be people who have issues with their health, that due to this elongated dua of the qunut, you're going to burden those people then with their health issues. There may be others who have affairs that they need to go to. They have other affairs or work or uh, affairs that they are preoccupied with, 
that they need to get to as well. And so a person, an imam makes the dua of the qunut half an hour, 40 minutes long, then again you're burdening those people. To the extent one individual, he once said to me that the imam did the qunut of the witr in tarawih one day so long, that he actually had to break off and go due to the heat and due to the length. He had to break off and he had to go and get some water. So this shows to you the burden of an imam doing that to the people half an hour, 40 minutes, 50 minutes perhaps, going with the qunut of the witr. So it is not permissible from that perspective. Secondly, another reason why these elongated du'as of the qunut are not permissible الناحية الثانية أنهم يأتون بأدعية غريبة that they start reciting supplications that are very strange when the dua of the qunut is going to be half an hour long 40 minutes long then they have to be reciting all sorts during that time and the shaykh says indeed they start reciting certain supplications within this lengthy half an hour 40 minutes or whatever it may be that are very strange supplications very strange supplications they start to add on to make it longer and longer. وَمُعْظَمُهَا مَوَاعِذُ وَسَجْعُ And he says, most of what they recite then, when they make it so long, it is basically admonitions. They are admonitions. They are general types of admonishing du'as. And often, what they try to do is to make it beautiful, this du'a of the qunut, and there is rhyming involved in all of it. Often when they become like this now, 30 minutes, 25, 30, 40 minutes, then when you listen to them, they are rhyming du'as. So you find them trying to make it rhyme, and you find them trying to, or bringing about general types of admonition in their du'as. Very strange affairs to be making du'a within the qunut. فَهَذِهِ لَيْسَتْ so these types of things that they be saying in the qunut, they are not actually even supplications. Some of what they be saying when they make it so long, it is not even supplications. وَلَا هِيَ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ And neither are they even ayat of the Qur'an. وَلَا هِيَ مِنَ السُنَّةِ And neither are they from the ahadith mentioned in the sunnah. وَإِنَّمَا هِيَ مِنَ الْكَلَامِ Rather all it is, is simply speech that they bring about themselves. Oh Allah, help uh, uh, this with the Muslims and that with the Muslims. All types of things that they just say themselves. They are not ayat of the Qur'an, they are not a hadith from the sunnah, they are not authentic supplications mentioned anywhere. Just general speech that they then start to add on and add on and add on to make this qunut longer and longer and longer. So the shaykh says they are not du'as from the Qur'an, the sunnah. These are not anything which is witnessed within the established affairs. It is just general speech that they then begin to make. Oh Allah, oh Allah, and then they say something, and they say something, and they add on something. وَالْكَلَامُ فِي الصَّلَاةِ يُبْطِلُهَا لِهَذَا فَإِنَّهُ يَجِبُ التَّنَبُّهُ لِذَلِكِ إِذْ إِنَّ الْعَمَلَ وَالتَّقَيُّدَ بِسُنَّةِ الرَّسُولِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ فِيهِ الْخَيْرُ الْكَثِيرُ So this additional speech that they just begin to say, We've already mentioned before that additional speech which is not from the speech of the du'as and the Qur'an and the sunnah appropriate to the prayer, it actually nullifies your prayer. So the shaykh says, you should be aware of this and what you need to stick to is that which is mentioned in the Qur'an and the sunnah and not to go outside of that and start making these really long du'as of the qunut, half an hour, 40 minutes, maybe longer, and where they are just bringing about their own type of general speech within it, uh, not even actual supplications, or from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. وَقَدْ نَصَّ الْعُلَمَاءَ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْإِمَامَ يَدْعُوا فِي الْقُنُوتِ بِصِيغَةِ الْجَمْعَ فَبَدَلًا مِنْ أَنْ يَقُولَ اللَّهُمَّ اهْدِنِي وَعَافِنِي فَإِنَّهُ يَقُولُ اللَّهُمَّ اهْدِنَا وَعَافِنَا وَكَذَلِكَ اللَّهُمَّ اهْدِنَا فِي مَنْ هَدَيْتُ وَعَافِنَا فِي مَنْ عَافَيْتُ Another point to mention is that the hadith it mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ taught me to recite Allahumma hdini fi man hadayt wa'afini fi man 'afayt wa tawallani fi man tawallayt 
That in Arabic is all the first person. Oh Allah, guide me and uh, protect me and uh, give me safety and good health and give me blessings. It's all in the first person. However, the scholars, they say that when the imam does the dua of the qunut, it should actually be done in the plural form. The dua should be made in the plural form. Oh Allah, guide us and protect us. So the dua, the scholars, they say in the qunut, should be done in the plural form. Uh, then there was the other narration which mentioned the additional wording in it. وَأَمَّا الرِّوَايَةَ الْأَخِيرَةَ بِأَنَّهُ كَانَ يُعَلِّمُهُمْ دُعَاءً يَقُولُونَهُ فِي قُنُوتِ الْفَجْرِ نعم. So there was an additional hadith which was وَلِلْبَيْهَقِي عَنِ ابْنِ عَبَّاسِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يُعَلِّمُنَا دُعَاءً نَدْعُ بِهِ فِي الْقُنُوتِ مِنْ صَلَاتِ الصُّبْحِ This he says, Allahu anhuma, that the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, used to teach us a dua to recite, to supplicate with, in the qunut of fajr particularly. That the Prophet sallallahu used to teach us a dua for us to make the qunut with in fajr specifically it's mentioned. However, this particular hadith, then, the Shaykh mentions it is a weak hadith. Uh, it is not a hadith which is authentic or established regarding specifying the Fajr prayer for the Qunut regularly. And that is something we've already discussed too. The next narration, وَعَنْ أَبِي هُرَيْرَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ قَالَ قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ إِذَا سَجَدَ أَحَدُكُمْ فَلَا يَبْرُكْ كَمَا يَبْرُكُ الْبَعِيرُ وَالْيَضَعْ يديه قبل ركبتيه. Then also, وهو أقوى من حديث وائل بن حجر رضي الله عنه. رأيت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا سجد وضع ركبتيه قبل يديه أخرجه الأربعة. فَإِنَّ لِلْأَوَّلِ شَاهِدًا مِنْ حَدِيثِ ابْنِ عُمَرَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا وَصَحَّحَهُ ابْنُ خُزَيْمَةِ وَذَكَرَهُ الْبُخَارِيُّ مُعَلَّقًا مَوْقُوفًا Now we have this issue mentioned that when in the first narration of Abu Hurairah that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said when one of you prostrates goes down into the prostration you're going to come out of the ruku' And then you're going to go down into prostration. Then do not go down as the camel goes down. فَلَا يَبْرُكْ كَمَا يَبْرُكُ الْبَعِيرُ Then do not sit down or go down and descend as the camel does. وَالْيَضَعْ يَدَيْهِ قَبْلَ رُكْبَتَيْهِ And that you should place your hands down to the ground, make contact with your hands, before making contact with your knees. So here we have this issue. When you're going to go down into the prostration, do you go down by touching your knees to the ground first and then your hands? Or do you go down with your hands first and then your knees after them? This first narration says, he should place his hands down and then his knees. And then in the second narration he says, I saw the Prophet wasallam." When he would prostrate, he would put his knees down before his hands. So now you have this issue. Which of the two is it? When you go down into prostration, do you touch your hands down first and then your knees? Or do you go down with your knees first and then your hands and then your head etc.? So which first, the hands or the knees? As Shaykh Al-Fawzan says, هذان الحديثان حديث بهريرة وحديث وائل بن حجر في كيفية الانحطاط إلى السجود. These two narrations, the narration of Abu Huraira رضي الله عنه, where he says that you put your hands down first and then your knees, and the second one, the hadith of Wa'il ibn Hujr, where he says you put your knees down first, then your hands. The Shaykh says that is the topic of discussion in these two narrations. 
So what is it that's suitable that should go down first? Your knees or your hands? فحديث أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه فيه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم نهى أن يبرك كبروك البعير وليضع يديه قبل ركبتيه So the hadith of Abu Huraira says that you're supposed to put your hands down first, then your knees. And the hadith of Wa'il ibn Hujar, he says that I saw the Prophet ﷺ putting his knees down before his hands. So there is an apparent conflict between these two narrations. لكن المصنف أشار إلى أن حديث أبي هريرة أقوى من حديث Wa'il ibn Hujar. Al-Hafidh ibn Hujar he says that the hadith of Abu Huraira, it is stronger than the hadith of Wa'il ibn Hujar. Wa'il ibn Hujar says that the Prophet ﷺ would put his knees down first, then come with his hands and his head. But the author Al-Hafidh ibn Hujar, rahimahullah, says the hadith of Abu Huraira is stronger than that. Meaning that you put your hands down first and then your knees. لِأَنَّ لَهُ شَاهِدًا مِنْ حَدِيثِ ابْنِ عُمَرِ The reason being because the hadith of Abu Huraira that you put your hands down first, then your knees, has another hadith which backs it up. And that is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar رضي الله عنهما وَهُوَ أَنَّ ابْنِ عُمَرِ فَعَلَ هَذَا and that is that there is a narration from Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma that he used to do that too. Put his hands down first and then his knees afterwards. This hadith of Ibn Umar is narrated by Al-Bukhari mu'allaqan mawqufan meaning that it is narrated without a chain of narration. يعني أنه من فعل Ibn Umar and it is mawquf, indicating that this was from the action of Ibn Umar. In that narration, it does not specify that Ibn Umar took this from the Prophet ﷺ. Rather, the narration stops at Ibn Umar himself. So from the action of Abdullah ibn Umar, one of the great companions, was that he would go down with his hands first before his knees. Which is what the hadith of Abu Huraira says. So those two seem to be stronger because they are backing each other up on the same point. That you go down with your hands before your knees. إِذَنْ فَكَيْفَ يَدَّعِي الْمُؤَلِّفْ بِأَنَّهُ شَاهِدٌ يَقْوِ حَدِيثَ بِهُرَيْرَى مَعَ أَنَّهُ ذَكَرَ بِأَنَّهُ مُعَلَّقٌ وَمَوْقُوفٌ However, as Shaykh Al-Fawzan says, now you still have an issue. How can you claim that the hadith of Ibn Umar, radiallahu anhuma, this is now looking at the issue from an alternative perspective, from an opposing perspective. The ones who will say, no, we don't agree to that. They will say, how can you use the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar, radiallahu anhuma, to say that the hadith of Abu Huraira is stronger because they are backing each other up. When the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar, the chain of narration doesn't actually go to the Prophet it is just Abdullah ibn Umar himself. This is the fatwa of Abdullah ibn Umar. The hadith isn't actually linked as a statement or an action of the Prophet ﷺ. So they say, how can you use that as an evidence to back up that the Prophet ﷺ, uh, would go down with his hands before his knees? This hadith or this narration of Ibn Umar is just Ibn Umar. It doesn't actually go directly to the Prophet ﷺ. So how does the author claim that this is something that can be used as a backup evidence? As Shaykh Al-Fawzan puts a question mark over that. How can that be? فَالْمَسْأَلَ فِيهَا أَخْضٌ So this is therefore one of those issues where there is give and take. One party will say, no, this narration is there, the fi'al, the action of one of the companions, it therefore backs up that you should go down with your hands. The other will say, the opposing party will say, but it's only mawquf. It is a fatwa of a companion, not the actual statement of the Prophet So how can you use some narration of that nature to back up a hadith? So there is give and take with this issue. There is give and take with this issue. فَجَمَاعَ أَخَذُوا بِحَدِيثَ بِهُرَيْرَةً 
So a group of the scholars, they took the position of the hadith of Abu Hurairah. And they take the opinion that the person who prays, when he goes down into the prostration, he should put his hands down first. He should make contact with his hands down first before his knees. But another group of the scholars, Jama'ah Akharun, أَخَذُوا بِحَدِيثُ وَأَلِ بْنِ Another group of the scholars though took the hadith of Wa'il ibn Hujar where he said, I saw the messenger of Allah وسلم, placing his knees down onto the ground and then his hands on the head etc. So they took that narration and they said, therefore you put your knees down first. And similarly they said, كَمَا أَنَّ لِحَدِيثَ بِهُرَيْرَ شَاهِدًا فَكَذَلِكَ لِحَدِيثُ وَائِلِ بْنِ حُجَرْ أَيْضًا شَاهِدٌ فَاسْتَوَيَا فِي هَذَا الْأَمْرِ And they said, just like you're saying, there are backup hadith for the one saying you put your hands down first. They say, we also have hadith which back up the narration that says you put your knees down first. So there is a lot of give and take over this issue, uh, over the texts regarding do you put your hands down first or do you put your knees down first. Al-Shaykh Al-Fawzan then says, وَفِي الْحَقِيقَةِ إِنَّ حَدِيثَ أَبِي هُرَيْرَ فِيهِ مَا يَدُلُّ عَلَى حَدِيثِ وَائِلِ بْنِ This is now where they talk about this issue of where the Prophet ﷺ said, do not go down like a camel goes down. So here Al-Shaykh Al-Fawzan says, the hadith of Abu Huraira, that you put your hands down first, it is actually indicative of what is mentioned in the hadith of Wa'il ibn Hujar. They actually are backing each other up. How is that? لِأَنَّهُ نَهَا عَنْ بُرُوكَ Because the Prophet ﷺ forbade us from going down like the camel goes down. وَمِنَ الْمَعْلُومُ وَالْمَعْرُوفُ أَنَّ الْبَعِيرُ يَضَعُ يَدَيْهِ قَبْلَ رُكْبَتَيْهِ And what is known is that the camel when it goes down, a camel standing on its four legs when it goes down, to sit down, which of its two legs go down first? The front two legs go down first. When a camel goes to sit down, the front two legs they go down first. So the hands of the camel go down before his knees. That's what the situation is regarding how a camel goes down. وَالنَّبِي سَأَسَلَّمْ نَهَانَا أَنْ نَبْرُكَ مِتْلَ بُرُوكِ الْبَعِيرِ And the Prophet ﷺ forbade us from going down like a camel goes down. So that would mean, لَا نَضَعُوا يَدَيْنَا أَوْ أَيْدِيْنَا أَوْ يَدَيْنَا قَبْلَ رُكْبَتَيْنَا So that would therefore indicate that we go down how? Knees first. That would indicate knees first. So the Shaykh says, even the hadith of Abu Huraira in reality would indicate that you're supposed to do knees first. Because the hadith says, do not go down like a camel goes down. And the camel goes down with its front legs. So therefore, we go down from the knees first, rather than the hands first. لِأَنَّا إِذَا وَضَعْنَا يَدَيْنَا قَبْلَ رُكْبَتَيْنَا شَابَهْنَا الْبْعِيرَ الَّذِينَ هَانَ النَّبِسَ Because if we were to put our hands down first, then the knees we would be resembling the way that the camel goes down. فَصَدْرُ حَدِيثَ بِهُرَيْرَ يَشْهَدُ لِحَدِيثَ وَائِلِ بْنِ So the beginning of the hadith of Abu Huraira, which said that the Prophet ﷺ forbade us to go down like the camel goes down. That part of the hadith actually seems to back up the second hadith which explicitly says that I saw the Prophet ﷺ going down with the knees first. It's just the second part of the hadith of Abu Huraira, which then says, therefore go down with your hands before your knees. That part is where the issue seems to arise. So then the shaykh says, how do we explain that section of the hadith, the first hadith where it says, therefore put your hands down first and then your knees. The shaykh says that part of the hadith therefore is not actually authentic. And this is the opinion of some of the scholars. Uh, 
ابن القيم said رحمه الله إن زاد المعاد إنها مقلوبة أو إنها مقلوبة والصحيح وليضع ركبتيه قبل يديه ابن القيم first you have to picture this now picture this carefully now you have these two narrations the first narration of Abu Hurairah رضي الله عنه saying two things in it the first thing in it is do not go down like the camel goes down the second thing in it saying therefore go down with your hands first before your knees the second narration of Wa'il ibn Hujar saying that I saw the Prophet ﷺ going down with his knees first before his hands then based upon how a camel goes down which is that he takes his front legs down first it would therefore seem to appear that the first part of Abu Hurairah the narration of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu that the Prophet ﷺ forbade us to go down like a camel goes down it is actually backing up the second narration to therefore go down with your knees first correct now the issue is that second part of the hadith of Abu Hurairah why then does it mention go down with your hands first when the first part of the hadith is saying don't go down like a camel goes down here Ibn al-Qayyim says and this is the opinion of some of the scholars that this second section of the hadith of Abu Hurairah is what's known as maqloob maqloob meaning that it's been uh, turned it's been uh, turned upside down it's been turned around meaning that there's been a mix up in that part of the narration, that the narrator mixed up the two parts of the hadith. What he meant to say was, therefore, after he'd mentioned, do not go down like the camel goes down, therefore go down with your knees before your hands. That the narrator actually meant to say, go down with your knees before your hands, but he confused and mixed up the two parts of the knees and the hands, and accidentally said, therefore go down with your hands before your knees. Upon that explanation, then both narrations are completely in conformity. The first part saying, don't go down like a camel. The second part saying, therefore go down with your knees before your hands. If we now understand that this was swapped by accident. And the third narration or the second narration, clearly saying that go down with your knees as well. Upon that explanation, then everything is in conformity. Upon that explanation, everything is then in conformity. إِنَّهَا مَقْلُوبَ وَالصَّحِيحُ وَالْيَضَعُ رُكْبَتَيْهِ قَبْلَ يَدَيْهِ وَذَلِكَ مِنْ أَجْلِ أَنْ يَتَوَافَقَ مَعَ فِعْلِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ سَيَسَلَّمُ الَّذِي رَوَاهُ وَائِلِ بْنِ حُجَرْ فَانْقَلَبَ عَلَى الرَّاوِي وَهَذَا مِمَّا يُسَمُّونَهُ بِالْمَقْلُوبِ عِنْدَ الْمُحَدِّثِينَ So that is one way to explain it. Who can explain it? Who can explain it? One minute. Somebody volunteer quickly. Okay. The hadith of Abu Hurairah Which, has two parts. Two parts. Hadith of Abu Hurairah has two parts. Yes. The first part, which says we shouldn't go down like the camel goes down. First part says do not go down like the camel goes down. Suppose the second hadith of uh, uh, Wa'il ibn Hujar, which says, therefore we should go down with our knees before so therefore the first part of the hadith of Abu Hurairah that says do not go down like a camel is the same as the second hadith of Wa'il ibn Hujr saying that he saw the Prophet going down with his knees before his hands because the camel goes with his hands. Then you've got the second part of the first hadith left to explain. Yes, which now say that therefore we should go with our hands, hands. before our knees is being interpreted as a slip of tongue. Yeah, it was swapped by accident. The two parts were swapped by accident by the narrator. An error occurred whereby he said hands before knees, where he meant to say was knees before hands. And that is something known in the sciences of hadith as maqloob, that certain narrations, they get swapped by accident. Uh, or certain parts of a narration get swapped by accident. They get confused or mixed up, swapped by accident, maqloob. So this is an example they give of that. Uh, some of the scholars who take the opinion that you therefore go down with your knees before your hands. 
إذن فيكون الصحيح العمل بحديث وائل بن حجر الشيخ الفوزان therefore says upon his opinion therefore what is correct is the hadith of وائل بن حجر upon that statement that you go down with your knees first upon this opinion لأنه شاهد شاهد الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم وهو ينحط للسجود because وائل بن حجر in that narration clearly says I saw the Prophet ﷺ going down with his knees first. He says, I saw him doing that. So he saw him putting his knees down before the hands. And similarly, the Prophet ﷺ forbade us from going down like the camel goes down. And the Shaykh says, we've explained how a camel goes down the front first. So therefore, all of that would seem to indicate, the Shaykh says upon this opinion, that you should go down with your knees first. وَبَعْدَ أَنْ ذَكَرْتُ الرَّأْيَ الرَّاجِحِ فِي هَذِهِ الْمَسْأَلَةِ لَا بُدَّ لِي مِنْ أَنْ أُنَبِّهَ عَلَى أَنَّ هَذِهِ الْمَسْأَلَةِ وَأَمْثَالِهَا عَلَى أَنَّ هَذِهِ الْمَسْأَلَةِ وَأَمْثَالَهَا مِنَ الْمَسَائِلَ الْخِلَافِيَّةِ يَنْبَغِ أَنْ لَا تَكُونَ مُثَارًا the Shaykh then says a very important point. With these types of issues, where there are differences of opinion, that is one opinion we've given and an explanation as to how to prove that opinion. By saying that the other narration, the second part of it, is swapped by accident. Other scholars won't agree to that. Other scholars won't agree to that. They'll say, no, it's not swapped at all. The narration is as it should be. And therefore, they'll try to prove that actually you do go down with your hands and it's the narration of Wa'il ibn Hujr that is actually weak. So there are differences on this issue. There are differences, there is give and take as the Shaykh said, depending on the narrations, depending on the chains, depending on how you look at the uh, hadith. There are differences. So some scholars came to the conclusion, looking at all of their proofs that no, it is the hands first you go down with. Others, with this explanation that we gave as one of their explanations, came to the conclusion, no, it's your knees first. The shaykh says with these types of issues, he says, I need to make you aware, the shaykh says, Shaykh al-Fawzan, that I need to make aware, I need to make you all aware and alert to something important here. And that is that these types of issues and other issues similar to it, where there are differences within them of this nature, issues that are differed over like this, then it is not correct, befitting, suitable, appropriate at all for the people to be making these types of issues into issues of differing and splitting and issues of argumentation and debating. These are not issues that you make enmity over a person comes along and says, I've looked at the evidences, I've looked at the hadith, and as far as I can see, it does appear to me that going down with your hands is stronger. Another one says, no, I've looked at everything, and it appears that going down with your knees is stronger. This is not an issue that these two people now argue over, debate over, fight over, have enmity over. This is from the foolishness of the people. And this is what the scholars, they used to mention in Medina, that these are issues that are spacious. These are issues where there is room for leeway. There are evidences on either side. They are strong on either side, depending on how you look at these narrations. So with these types of fiqh issues, where there are differences and scholars, they've proven each side upon their opinions with their evidences, then it's not something you debate and argue over and have enmity towards people over or split and differ over. This is not the type of affair that you do that over. خَاسَةً مِنَ الْمُبْتَدِئِينَ مِنْ طَلَبَةِ الْعِلْمِ Especially from the beginners. Those people who are beginners in seeking knowledge, then sometimes, you know how it is, maybe a little bit too much zeal over the affair, too much uh, enthusiasm over the affair. So perhaps, especially with beginners in seeking knowledge, they will read one side of the opinion. Now here for example, if I gave you this opinion now that a Sheikh Fawzan has given here, and explained about the swap over thing, and left it at that, and didn't explain the other side at all, didn't mention that there's a difference of opinion, you would all go away thinking, that is it. You go down with your knees first, because the other narration is simply swapped over, and then they all come together. For a new person, a beginner, 
You give them an opinion, you give them the proofs, and that's all they're going to know. So when somebody else comes along with an opposing idea, they may think, no, now you are opposing the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. You're in opposition to the revelation of the Qur'an and the sunnah. And in reality, it's a difference. There are proofs and there are evidences. So with these affairs, then the shaykh says, they are not affairs that you differ over or have enmity over. These types of issues of fiqh where there are differences. فَمِثْلُ هَذِي الْمَسْأَلَةِ تَدْخُلُ فِي أُمُورِ الْمُسْتَحَبَّاتِ وَالْمَكْرُوهَاتِ وَلَيْسَ فِي الْوَاجِبَاتِ وَالْمُحَرَّمَاتِ ثُمَّ إِنَّ لِكُلِّ دَلِيلُهُ ثُمَّ إِنَّ لِكُلِّ دَلِيلَهُ وَلِكُلِّ نِشْتِهَادَهُ وَالْمُهِمْ أَنَّ كُلَّ الطَّرَفَيْنِ لَهُ مُسْتَنَدُهُ أَشَرْعِي So in these affairs, each side has its evidences. Each side has its proofs and why they believe a certain position to be correct. And they are upon evidences and proofs. And these types of affairs are from the affairs of what is recommended and what is disliked. This is not an issue of haram and halal, an issue of obligation or pillar of the prayer. If somebody goes down with their hands to the sajda, to the prostration, or they go down with their knees. Whether you go down with your hands or your knees, it's not from the pillars of the prayer or something from the obligations of the religion. It is an issue of what is recommended, what is mustahab, what is makroh, from those types of affairs. So it is not something that you blow out of proportion. Every side has their proof, they have their ijtihad, and every side has authentic evidences that they are basing it upon. لِذَا فَإِنَّهُ يَنْبَغِي عَلَى طَلَبَةِ الْعِلْمِ أَنْ يَكُونُوا مُتَحَابِّينَ وَيَعْذُرُ بَعْضُهُمْ الْبَعْضِ وَنِخْتَلَفَ اجْتِهَادَاتُهُمْ طَالَمَا أَنَّ الْجَمِيعَ يَبْتَغِي الْحَقِّ وَالصَّوَابِ فِي دِينِ اللَّهِ وَطَالَمَا أَنَّ الْأَمْرَ لَيْسَ فِي اخْتِلَافِ فِي الْعَقِيدَةِ So the shaykh says in this type of situation, people need to be gentle with each other. You need to have ease with each other over these types of affairs. These are not issues that you have enmity over, uh, especially that every student, every person is desiring the truth. They are sincerely looking for the truth and they look into it. And somebody comes to the conclusion, it's knees first. Another one comes into the conclusion, it's hands first. And they are genuine and sincere looking for the truth. Then in that situation, this is not something to argue over. And the shaykh says, it is not an issue of aqidah this. Be aware. On the other extreme, that an ikhwani or somebody comes along and takes this type of speech and says, therefore, with all types of differings and all types of differences and whatever the affair is, be together, be united. Look what they are saying, look what Shaykh Fawzan said. Here the Shaykh is talking about these types of fiqh issues, where there are evidences on either side. He's not talking about the principles of the religion. He's not talking about the usul. He's not talking about the aqidah. A person comes along with a different aqidah to Ahl Sunnah. You don't say, well, he's got his opinions and his evidences, be okay. Be aware. This is talking about these issues of differences in fiqh. It's not talking about the usul and the principles, the qawaid of aqidah, etc. We have time? <coughs> Ten minutes left. The next hadith, عن ابن عمر رضي الله عنهما أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم كان إذا قعد للتشهد وضع يده اليسرى على ركبتيه على ركبتي على ركبتيه اليسرى واليمنى على اليمنى وعقد ثلاثا وخمسين وأشار بإصبعه السبابة رواه مسلم وفي رواية مقابض أصابعه كلها here now, it's talking about how the Prophet ﷺ would sit for the tashahud, and where he would place his left hand, and where he would place his right hand, and what position the right hand would be in. So here, a Shaykh al-Fawzan says, هذا الحديث فيه صفة وضع النبي يديه الشريفتين على فخذيه في التشهد الأول والثاني فقد كان صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا جلس للتشهد وضع يده اليمنى على فخذه اليمنى ووضع كفه اليسرى على فخذه اليسرى وكان يبسط أصابع يديه اليسرى على فخذه وموجهة رؤوسها إلى القبلة 
أما اليمنى فإنه صلى الله عليه وسلم روي عنه في أصابعها ثلاث كيفيات. So here now, with regards to the hands, where do you put them when you're sitting in the tashahud? So it's mentioned that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم would place his left hand upon his left thigh. He would place the left hand upon the left thigh. And that he would spread out the fingers, not tight together, but spread out, placed upon the left thigh. And that he would point the fingers towards the Kaaba, towards the Qibla. Not place them on your thigh, bent this way, that way, but placed facing towards the Qibla. And that the right hand, he would put that on his right thigh. But how? There are three different descriptions given as to how the Prophet ﷺ used to place his right hand upon his right thigh. The first description is, أَنَّهُ يَقْبِضُ الْأَصَابِعَ الْأَرْبَعَ We'll conclude upon that point. Uh, next time we'll begin with this topic regarding how to place the right hand on your right thigh when you are sitting in the tashahud. The left hand it's mentioned, laid out on the left thigh. But the right hand, how do you put it together? What's the positioning of the right hand on your right thigh? That's inshaAllah ta'ala where we'll begin with in the next session in two weeks' time, insha'Allah. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.